listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 124 of the Tetsudo Times podcast, where I hope we're all in a little bit of a better mood than we were last week when we recorded the show. I, I don't think it would be hard to be in a worse, uh, a better mood, I should say. It would be hard to be in a worse mood, but unfortunately, this situation continues to spiral on and drag on a bit. Thomas is here. Hello, Thomas. You feeling a little bit better after last week? A little bit. Um, I was able to enjoy somewhat of a vacation when I was down in... I was down in Virginia Beach when all that happened, so was was able to end up with a bit of a vacation at, at the end of it. Yeah, you were telling me you didn't really have any vacation after what broke on that Friday night, and you were in the midst of all of it, and you couldn't really have a vacation, and that your family was probably hearing a lot about what was going on at Maryland, and I'm not sure how interested they were. They, they I mean, they humored me. They were all interested. My grandparents were there, so they this is as much as they have talked about Maryland with me. Well, there you go. Well, that's not bad. And Ryan is is also hopefully a bit happier than he was last week too. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's less 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 hectic, less less bad news about Maryland coming out every day. Uh, well, now so another yeah. school scandal is now taking precedence again. So, I mean, for Maryland, yeah. they can slump back into the shadows for at least a week, perhaps. There's no, there's no shortage of ways to feel pretty crappy about loving college football. So, oh, so that's, of course yeah. not. Of course not. But you know what? I think we all kind of understand that when you like college football, you like the sleaze involved with it, too. But, well, let's get to Maryland first. If we have to talk about Ohio State later in the podcast, we have time, we will. Uh, Thomas, in terms of developments for the last week or so, let's get over some of the big ones. The biggest, I think we could say, it happened right after we released this podcast, is that we actually heard from Matt Canada for the first time. We didn't hear from players, but we heard from him. And it's an interesting dynamic for him. We'll get more into this, I think, next week, because we all assume he's going to be the coach for the full season. We all think he's going to be. So the dynamic for him as an interim head coach for just joining the program, having bounced around to a bunch of offensive coordinator jobs recently, but also not really having any ties to what's been going on in Maryland the last couple of years, means that his dynamic as the interim head coach of this program is very, very interesting. And to hear him talk about that, we haven't really heard him talk all that much. Uh, so to hear him talk, it was good to hear, well, his voice, and also to hear what he's thinking about the situation that he's in. Yeah, he's in certainly an interesting spot. You know, when he, when he, came, on, when he came on board, it wasn't supposed to be, you know, this. You know, he's never been head coach before. I mentioned this at the very end of the last show. In we didn't have a lot of time to talk about Matt Canada, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting subplot time, and now I think it's emerging into a little bit more of, of the plot as far as you know, ramping up to football season, is that he's still both the offensive coordinator and the acting head coach at the moment, and he, he's pretty well known as a, as a good offensive coordinator, and it seems like uh, the players have rallied around him in the last couple weeks, and... You know, he talked about how you know having a great culture and such. I think that's just the t- the players have rallied around each other and around the coaches that are still there. Um, but we ha- I mean, we haven't heard a ton from him. What we have heard is encouraging, but 
we obviously haven't gotten the full story. I think he's done about as well of a job as you can realistically ask him to do. And we'll see how it manifests itself when he, when the games start. Yeah, I think that it's going to be interesting when you look at the entirety of what Matt Canada has to deal with here because, of course, this is a situation that is not really favorable to him. Although, Ryan, in one way, he's a coach that's bounced around a lot, and you don't know how many chances you're going to get when you're a bit of a hot potato bouncing around from job to job. And it's something we'll get more into next week. But I think his dynamic is somebody who could come in and steady the ship, and if he does... Let's say Maryland, in theory, makes a bowl game. He will get a lot of plaudits from a lot of people around college football, and you could argue his status as a college football, not just offensive coordinator, but a head coach, rises dramatically if Maryland somehow has a good season. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, and as, as you said, there's there'd be a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of jumps before we we end up talking about that. But I think he, in a way. I, like if you, I don't know if you guys listened to a podcast and played nobody, but I was listening to that with uh, Bill Connolly and Stephen Godfrey, and in uh, they said in mid June, I think, on their podcast that you know Canada's jumped out around a lot of places, but was likely, you know, seemed like he'd stay at Maryland for one year and then would end up head coach at a G at a G five school, likely a G five school because you just. You don't really end up going from Maryland offensive coordinator to head coach at another Power Five school, um, and say he does well, this it would be a chance for him to sort of skip the Power Five, skip the Group of Five time, and just head straight into being the head coach of a Power Five program. However, w- with everything that's going on right now, I mean, you, you could see it going on a bunch of different ways. I mean, I could see it even, you know, maybe he has. I don't know whoever you wanted to find a satisfactory season for Maryland, but they go around 500 and it's still possible that at the end of the season, the team and the coaching staff are just like, it's, it's known that they're going separate ways because Maryland just feels like it has to clean house or that Canada just decides I don't want to be around for whatever, whatever rebuilding process has to go on here. Um, or, or he succeeds and he and Maryland come to an agreement and both move on pretty happily. It's th- those, are, those are, I guess, the three ways I could see it unfolding. There's a lot that could happen, and we'll talk about it more next week, like what is a satisfactory season now. This is not something we have to get into at the moment, but the Matt Canada storyline, as we say, we all pretty much assume that he's going to be the coach the full season. There has been no developments to this, but our intuition leads us to believe this. Uh, from just everything that we see. We don't have any inside sources at this point saying that. But the Matt Canada story is, I think, one of the more intriguing ones going into the season, and especially since that's the only time we've heard from him. But I'm presuming that at the time you hear the next podcast, we will have heard more from Matt Canada at that point. Let's talk to the actual investigations itself, Thomas. The biggest developments were that the Board of Regents for the state system of Maryland has taken over both investigations. That's Jordan McNair and football culture. I've been in and out with other things as of recent days, but what does that development signify in where these investigations are going? To me, it reads as the University System of Maryland and the Board of Regents. They are putting a little more power into their own hands and a little power out of the hands of uh, top officials at Maryland. 
I guess if if nothing else, just to reduce the conflict of interest. Um, now the the Walters investigation is an external investigation already, but, but in the ESPN report, it was there were things about how it was being handled within the program, and they weren't flattering. Um, the the second investigation has started. Uh, it, it should be done in a couple weeks. They actually expanded it. I think they they more than doubled the size of the panel investigating the culture of the football program. That was something done a couple of weeks ago. Went from like four to like eight or something. I don't remember the specific. Number. I think it was four to nine. Well, but I could be wrong. Tie-breaking votes. Yes. Yeah, they they added uh, five. They're expected to announce up to five additional members by Friday. So potentially by the time you're listening to this podcast, perhaps. So but maybe that's... maybe more. We we've we've known what uh you know it might be close a day Friday, which as we know now could be it could is be six forty p.m. <laughs> Boy, that's specific. Uh, in terms of like timelines for these investigations, because we thought the culture of the football program investigation was going to be done before the season started. Doesn't look like that's going to happen now. We knew when the other investigation was supposed to be done, that's September 15th. So does this extend the timelines any longer? Because I, I was pretty confident that Maryland didn't want at least one of the investigations, the football culture one, to go on into the season. But it looks like that's going to go on into the actual season now. I think I was definitely of the opinion that I figured with when Wallace Lowe announced it, he talked about how he wanted it to be quick. I thought for sure that means before the season starts. Um, now that the university system has taken over, I it anything's possible. I think just you're adding five additional members. You're basically saying we're we are. It's like you're rebooting the investigation almost, um, and. Yeah, you know, we we don't really know what exactly they're going to be doing, uh, but it it seems like uh, if they're just announcing two five more people by Friday, I mean you'd think it probably takes them at least two weeks to wrap their whole thing, and that might be a very you know quick version. Maybe maybe it takes more like three or four, but uh, I think the the announcement that they're adding five more people only means. We're, we're, we're waiting longer for this announcement for the, the announcement. I think that, you know, we're all expecting being that uh, he being that Maryland parts with DJ Durkin. Um, however, that that announcement, you never know how many people it might it might affect and implicate whatever you want to use without like, yeah. us, you know, verging too much into speculation here. You, it. That that one's the big one that can certainly implicate people outside of DJ Durkin, but it could be the one that is the catalyst for DJ Durkin's uh, you know, termination from the university. I think that there's a couple of things we could go to, and we'll get to speculation in a second, because my thought is now, Thomas, and maybe we could get into speculation now, perhaps this is lining up for them to release all the findings of both investigations at once. Like, they already had a clock for the Jordan McNair one, specifically. Now maybe they announced them both at the same time. I don't know. Like, or, alternatively, the idea is the McNair one will end when it ends. But the culture of the football program, maybe that one doesn't end until after the season. Maybe they just sit on it. And they announce, in this particular example, they say, DJ Durkin is not going to coach this season. We're not firing him. We're not removing him yet. But he's not going to coach this season. 
Does that seem like something that's reasonable as these investigations expand and the power and jurisdiction of them changes? A lot of these things seem reasonable. I think it's also reasonable to think that maybe they added people so that they could go quicker. That is both, it would make sense. It would also maybe be wrong. I'm, I'm really not sure what it means as far as how long they expect that to go. There's no change as far as I know in the expected deadline for the Walters investigation. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe they sync up. Who knows? But the fact is, like, if these investigations take longer and it would be the culture of the football program investigation that would more be likely to turf DJ Durkin, I mean, that's why I was saying, like, they're going to have to make an announcement in some way next week. Either he's not coaching until further notice, whatever that means, or they're firing him, or in the wildest of circumstances, they bring him back. But I think that we're going to have to hear something next week. And if we do, obviously, you'll hear about it on Testudo Times and many other different places. Hopefully, you've come to us first, though. Uh, I want to talk, Thomas, about uh, Jordan McNair's parents' comments. They went on Good Morning America a couple of days ago, and they talked about they, they think DJ Durkin shouldn't be coaching anymore. But they also said something interesting about Wallace Lowe, which we were talking about whether he would be implicated perhaps in job security when it came to all of this, because naturally you have to go up the ladder when you talk about failings. There's the level that Maryland has failed, and they have failed quite clearly. So they have been very much trumpeting DJ Durkin should be fired, and that shouldn't be a surprise, but they defended Wallace Lowe more than I thought they were going to. Yeah, I was, I was a little surprised by that. Um, it, it's especially an interesting <clears throat> sort of duality because Boomer Esiason is just as vocal in the opposite direction. And so, and, I mean, that's, so really that, where that's really where we are at this point is the news is different people kind of coming out of the woodwork to talk about different angles of it. And, and the thing is, like, Jordan McNair's parents obviously are very important in this situation, and I think that it's their statements on DJ Durkin. That's why, in the end, Maryland probably has to fire him. But if they're saying that Wallace Lowe could stay on, don't you think that if they say it publicly and they're okay saying it publicly and they've shown that they accept a little bit of what Maryland has done since this all broke, that maybe that means they're more likely to keep Wallace low and his job security is in a little bit less danger. I'm not sure about Damon Evans where this leaves him. And I mean, obviously there were a lot of people calling for Wallace low to be fired and I'm not surprised that Boomer Esiason was one of them. I mean, he cares deeply about Maryland athletics. He cares deeply about the football program. And I mean, there's also some element of, hey, the programs have been mismanaged for many years, and Wallace Lowe was at the heart of that. But, you know, I think, Ryan, to this extent, the fact that Jordan McNair's parents are saying that they'd be okay if he stayed on, Wallace Lowe, might basically allow him to dodge a bullet, unless, as we said last week, more damning information comes out, and that is always a possibility. I think the McNair family talking about them would... I think it would have been... Like there, if if they had come out and said Lowe needs to go, also, I think that potentially has a lot more impact than them saying that he should stay. I think it had it has some impact, um, but I don't know. I think part of it is we don't know what happens with Wallace Lowe and Damon Evans in the invest investigation into the larger football culture and. I think because Wallace Lowe, as far as we know, is still part of that investigation. Uh, Don Marcus from the Baltimore Sun reported that he was there on Saturday 
when the uh, when the panel start when the you know it was still a four person panel back then when it started interviewing people, but um, it is it is very tough to say. I think uh, there, judging from our Twitter mentions, there's a lot of uh, nameless people online who definitely are saying who are saying that Waslo needs to go. Dimebag has wrote a couple editorials on it, um, but I I don't know. I, it's that's that. I'm, I, I should I should stop talking because it's just I I have no idea. It, 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 we don't. But as I say, like the way that Wallace Lowe would be in any sort of job danger is if more bad comes out because. Mm-hmm. The, the Wallace Lowe's job, as we said last week, is not just looking over the athletic department. It's looking over all of Maryland, this gigantic university with, what, 30,000 undergraduates, 10,000-plus grad students. It's a huge school, and if Wallace Lowe is hampering in his ability to do his job because of what's happened with the football program to such a degree that he can't do it in the way that he's supposed to, that's what, we, that's what the same thing I said with Damon Evans, and I still think it's true. But Jordan McNair's parents saying something positively for Wallace Lowe is certainly not radio silence and radio silence you could argue is a condemnation of him and certainly not saying he should be fired so there's an interesting dynamic there and Wallace Lowe is still under of course intense scrutiny for this as he should be and the same holds true with Damon Evans and we're going to see how this all plays out there's one thing Thomas that we didn't really get a chance to talk about last week because of just the way that this all broke and how many layers of this there are and that's the former players talking about the culture Right, And there was a lot of stuff that's happened. Uh, there were former players of DJ Durkins, I think it was at Stanford, who was saying bad things about him. And then there were the Maryland players that defended him. There were the Maryland players that said maybe he's gone too, a little too far. I think Jabril Peppers said something about him, and he played for DJ Durkin at Michigan. What do we make of all of this? Because you're going to naturally see these people come out either defend DJ Durkin or bury him depending on what your relationship is. And there's so much more in terms of water under those bridges that you're never going to know. But what should us as observers, and in many cases we're biased observers, we all like the school, and we all want the school to get out of this as best it possibly can. What should us observers, fans, journalists, people who are watching this from the outside, be thinking about many of these players and what they are saying about DJ Durkin and what it was like to play for him? I think... In general, I mean, you, you kind of have to just aggregate it and think, you know, what are the things that the majority of people are agreeing on, basically? Because you'll hear outliers in every direction. You know, the Stanford players are guys who didn't play for him. And, you know, I don't know if that, that has anything to do with how they feel about him as a person. It, it's hard to tell. But, you know, there are other players who didn't play a lot for him who, who say good things. So... Jabril Peppers was more critical than any Maryland players have been, but still said that he kind of understood where he was coming from and he understood what his goals were. It was more just, you know, maybe he disagreed with his coaching style. Um, and and Maryland players have generally been pretty supportive of him, past and present, including I think the most interesting one was Shane Cockrell, who was in his doghouse for like a year and a half. And, you know, had to miss games because of of his own of his own faults. And and he's he's come to the coach's defense. So 
I mean, we heard players that were in there at the start that were, I think, Randy Edsel recruits. We heard something about Perry Hills. I think he said something. So it was all interesting, but when you hear a lot of it, you don't really know how to parse it out because a lot of it is positive, but then you hear the negative stories too. And I think the most balanced and measured was DeAndre Lane. He talked to Inside Maryland Sports earlier this week, and he talked about how the trainers tried to get him back from a concussion too early, but he generally said pretty good things about the staff and about Durkin. So we encourage you to read it, those it, things. It, it took yourself. it's complicated when you hear these former players talk, and of course, yeah, I mean, but that's that's most of what we've gotten, you know, in the last in the last week is a few more people going on the record. Like we actually got current Maryland players on, I think it was WUSA nine, and. I mean, they all had pretty good things to say. I was I was surprised that they ended up on TV there. Well, I'm surprised they were ending up not in, like, a controlled set. I mean, I guess WCA 9 is a controlled setting, but it's different because it's not one where Maryland can control it as much as, say, they're coming to gossip to talk. You know, they're going down to the studios in Washington to talk about that in a much more different setting where they can't control it as much. It's, it's an interesting dynamic when you hear the current and former players talk, and I'm pretty sure we're going to hear more of this. In the future, so I think that's it in terms of actual news that's come out of the Maryland story in the last week or so. Something's going to have to be done in the next week because next week they are actually going to be preparing for a game, and we're going to have to hear more from the players. We're going to have to hear more from Matt Cannon. We're going to get two deeps, so I'm presuming we're going to have more news. But for now, we should get to basketball because through all of this, as this was breaking, the basketball team was in Italy with their tour. Now, we don't have any video of these games. We only have very few highlights from Maryland's Twitter feed. We have scores, and we have what Mark Turgeon has said briefly. So we should definitely get to this because there's been a lot of basketball news, and we're happy to talk about something that isn't the negativity about football for once. Not many Maryland fans would tell you, well, I'm more positive about basketball than football these days, until recently, of course. Uh, so, Thomas, their Italy trip was interesting, and reading Mark Turgeon's comments about trying to set up offenses and plug things in which you know is important because this team is so ridiculously young and has so many new players. What have you made from all that we've seen from the Italy trip? It's hard to, it's hard to make out too much of it, but you know, you look at just how the guys are fitting in, the, you know, the new pieces, Aaron Wiggins, Jalen Smith, uh, even Sorrell Smith, Eric Ayala, they've all seemed impressive. They've all put up good numbers. They've all shot pretty well. Um, Wiggins and Jalen Smith in particular have have been steady, and obviously we didn't we didn't see Ricky Lindo, and I don't know how he'll fit in, but you know I mean the the box scores are are similar to what you would expect. Uh, I think the biggest surprise was that Daryl Morcel was effective from beyond the three point line during the trip. He hit more threes, I think, in the final game of the trip than he hit during his freshman season. <laughs> That's something worth mentioning because he was not a great shooter last year, and that's what you, well, you want to see players develop new skills from freshman to sophomore year, and he had a lot on his shoulder. I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I, I did. He, he struck me as the kind of guy who would work himself into an above-average shooter by like his junior year. I'm, I don't know, you know if, he's, if he's ahead of that, but early signs are encouraging. If he's ahead of where he was last year, I mean, there's really not much – room for him to go except up because he was not a great shooter last year and I bet he'll tell you that 
But, Ryan, in terms of what we saw on this trip, again, from just tweets and comments from Mark Turgeon and the like, it's positive that they get this chance to gel, and they desperately need it because this is one of those seasons that's very important for the entirety of the program, and also because there's a billion new young players coming in. So what have you learned from reading articles about the trip and seeing what Maryland is posting about it on Twitter? I have not been paying a whole lot of attention to the Europe trip. I think the the big takeaway to always have from something like this is that you shouldn't take anything away from it. I think it's probably really fun for the players. I think it's a good bonding trip for the team. Sometimes people say, or I think head coaches usually say that, you know, they look back and they say, wow, this was a great thing that we were able to do, especially because we just got to practice over the summer with the coach and the players both there. Because normally in NCAA rules, you're not going to be doing that, I think, pretty sure. Um, and uh, I think for many, for many, I, I didn't even look at the box scores. I d- watched some of the highlights on Twitter. Um, but uh, I, w- I wouldn't take too much away from it. Good, bad, bad or good, just uh, I think Marcel, you know, he's a guy who needs to improve his long-range shooting, but I think, I mean, he obviously knows that. He'll probably need to do that if he wants to keep pace with the new guys they bring in. And, and just he was a, he played a ton of minutes as a, uh, as a true freshman. That's not easy. I think it's natural to expect his three-point shooting to go up and I, I I imagine it will yes it kind of has no place to go but for, as a guy who he was a pretty he wasn't a particularly heralded recruit kind of until the until the very end until right before he committed um, it's been a pretty quick rise for him and I imagine the shooting will be just kind of the last piece of the puzzle for him you could definitely say that uh, speaking of Ricky Lindo we should talk about Thomas him because that was the silver lining in a dark cloud of lots of bad Maryland news. Uh, Maryland needed somebody to come in in terms of after they lost Snyder Harrard for reasons we still don't quite understand. But Ricky Lindo was a 2019 recruit that was able to reclassify to this year. What do we know about him? And he's the sixth freshman in in this class. And that's like Kentucky after most years with all the freshmen that they bring in. Now, obviously, the top three on the recruits, that would be Ayala, Smith, and Wiggins, are going to contribute a lot. But Sorrell Smith and uh, Ricky Lindo might have a chance to contribute because Maryland just doesn't have a ton of depth in those sorts of positions. So what do we know about Ricky Lindo, and what kind of player is he, and what kind of impact from just that do we expect we could see from him in this season? It's kind of hard to say. So he was, a, he was originally a 2018 recruit. He was going to do a post-grad year. Um, but... Maryland was interested in him, you know, before, you know, just to join the team immediately. And he did. Uh, he's, he's an athletic forward. I think he's six, seven, six, eight, eight, uh, long wingspan. So he's not, he's not a big man, which is what they kind of needed to replace. I don't know to what extent he can, you know, play a small ball four or even a small ball five. That's something we'll have to really see as, as the, as camp and, preseason happen but he's definitely an athletic forward who can can probably make plays almost right away I think 
he fits into the mold of what Mark Turgeon likes. He likes length, obviously. He likes versatility at the three and four spots. And while he, there's no real direct comparables to players that Maryland had before, you can see a lot of players that Mark Turgeon has had and recruited that are like him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen enough of his game at this level to make a comparison. But, you know, if he – I don't want to throw Jake Clayman out anywhere. But <laughs> he has similar measurables. So we'll see. Oh, we, we, we know what people think of Jake Lehman on this website. It's okay. I mean, now we invoke his name for good, but like, as I said, there's a lot of players that Maryland's had that's like him. But he's going to add depth, whatever it might be, and he's probably going to play this year. So you, you want to see something from him. But, I mean, Maryland's going to need a ton from freshmen if they're going to be competitive this season in the Big Ten, whose schedule was released. And Thomas... Don't necessarily think we need to go too in-depth about it, but now we know the entirety of Maryland's schedule, and we don't know still a ton about how the Big Ten's going to shape up this year. It doesn't look like it's going to be nearly as strong as it was at the top last year. So what do you think about how the schedule plays out? Of course, note, two more conference games than years past. It's now 20, and no stupid early tournament at Madison Square Garden. It's the normal length of season, and they're playing at uh, Chicago this year for the Big Ten tournament, so... Beyond those two notes, what did you say about how the schedule is going to play out? I don't think any big surprises. I was surprised by the uh, a little surprised by the length between their early games. I think it's like a five day break, or they're five days apart, so it would be a four day break. Um, that surprised me a little bit because I think last last year was a Friday Sunday. The reason why, of uh, course, the is early they conference. had to get more games in in a shorter amount of time. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that that was a little surprising. I mean, it, it's hard to be surprised with anything in the Big Ten because we already knew who they were playing home and away. We already knew about the Madison Square Garden game, but now we see it on the schedule, and it's like, oh. So, I mean, it, they have back-to-back road games before it, I believe. Yeah, and Ohio so State that and makes, Michigan State, which will be very So difficult. that makes... Yeah, so that'll be probably the toughest little stretch of their season. It, it's so hard at this point to say which Big Ten teams are even going to be good because it no seems idea. like it seems like the entire conference is just is is just teams that could be pretty good and could also flame out. That's Maryland and, too. Oh, absolutely. Maryland, Maryland's in that. Uh, Sparty even. Even Michigan State, you know, just lost so much from last year, it, it's hard to say. I mean, Purdue lost, what, what, their entirety of their starting lineup except one player? Yep. You know, I mean, Ohio State was surprisingly good last year, but you don't know how that translates. Indiana's a complete wild card. They've got great refreshment coming in, but you don't know what's going to happen because last year they weren't very good. But, I mean, the, the key, of course, for Maryland is obviously is doing not terribly on the road. And here's the thing that's the schedule and how it works. Maryland's got four stretches, as far as I can see, of two consecutive road games. And last year, Maryland was crap away from home. They've been crap away from home for many years. You know they're going to be good at Xfinity Center, because they always are. They mean, they're going to have duds here and there, and they did. But under Mark Turgeon, it's reasonably safe to say they're going to win 80-90% of their home games. But as we talk about with their out-of-conference schedule, they don't play a road game, technically. I mean, yes, they go to Navy, but that's in Annapolis, and it doesn't really count. So it's arguable to say that their season's defined by how they do in their road games and how they do in these stretches of two consecutive games 
away from home. And Illinois, while it's at Madison Square Garden, there are going to be more Maryland fans there than Illinois fans. So that's still pretty much a home game, even though technically they're giving one up. But I think for me, it's just how do they play on the road? That's going to determine a lot about how they play the season because, you know, as we always say, home, give them a chance to win. They're probably going to. But on the road, they lose a lot more than they should. And that, to me, determines how this season goes. I mean, in terms of games, they, they have the final three of their four games at home. I guess it's interesting, you know. I mean, they get Indiana at home. They get Purdue at home. They have to go to Michigan State. They get Michigan at home and got a couple of games like this. So we'll see how it all plays out. Is there anything else, Ryan, about the schedule that you're thinking about that you want to mention? No, I'd echo pretty much what you said about the Big Ten. Uh Everyone who almost everyone who's good last year is very uncertain this year, and most teams were bad last year. And outside of Purdue and Michigan State, I mean Michigan and Ohio State too, but that was the top four, and then the rest was just a complete mess. Right, and I think like Indiana is a safe bet to, I mean, certainly do better. Not that that's really an accomplishment, but they could potentially they should be a contender, ideally to win it. Um, like Maryland should too if it all goes well they could easily win they've got a lot of talent right Maryland's big challenge will just be having any sort of depth as well as maybe trying to be not having to play Anthony Cowan like 100 minutes per game but um, I think uh, yeah this the, the schedule is like when you looked at the Big Ten last year I think we all had no idea that Ohio State was going to end up being good. And we didn't really, I mean, Michigan making the national championship game is just ridiculous. Uh, but we, like, you know, you didn't I even had, know. Excuse if, me, sir. I predicted that was going to happen. So I need to have an idea of that. That you are, you are one of the few. Um, and Ohio State, Michigan, you didn't know if they were going to be good. Well, Minnesota flamed out, too. I mean, completely went Northwestern flame. flamed out even worse. Yeah, yeah no, Minnesota was worse. Year, Minnesota year was after worse. they were, they made their first tournament and returned everyone, they were horrible. Yep. Um, they didn't play any real home games, though, so, I mean, I kind of couched that off as a bit of a mulligan, but maybe not. I think that's that's only... They got. They were just getting dump trucked by everyone. The 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 team. I mean, they one got dump trucked by bad Maryland twice. So. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 Big Ten I basketball. Mean, Penn State actually was competent at basketball, mildly for once. And then and then now they now they probably won't be because Tony Carr went to the pros and yeah. he was like ninety five percent of their offense. It, it, the Big Ten this year, I mean, everyone's going to talk about Duke, and rightfully so, because they have a bunch of freaks. You saw some of the games in Canada. They're going to talk about Kansas and Kentucky, but, I mean, the Big Ten is a complete mess. And I don't think we're going to know until maybe October what the conference even remotely looks like. But that suits Maryland, because they could be one of those teams that if it all sticks together well, and they've always been able to get good contributions from freshmen. That's something that you can say about Mark Turgeon. Every single year... Basically, when they needed a contribution from a young player, from a freshman, they've gotten it. So they can have that this year. Tournaments, reasonable expectation, of course. But we want to talk about a former Maryland player first. And Mellow Trimble's going down under. Not in Sydney or Melbourne, but Cairns. I bet a lot of people, when they were reading that news, Thomas, couldn't tell you where Cairns was on a map. Who's to say they can now? Well, I don't I know. Have I'm never just saying. Met well, I'm not saying that people don't know a lot about Australia, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't know a lot about Australia, particularly its geography. 
I, um, I will be honest. I have no idea it. about Australian geography. I mean, I kind I, of have I an idea. Never find out. Well, I guess we're going to find out because we're going to now care about Cairns, whatever the heck they're called. I looked at the name yesterday and then completely forgot what the name was. Oh, well. I hope he succeeds, obviously. We hope all Maryland players succeed wherever they go, but it's now where in the world are former Maryland basketball players going. Yeah, we've got we've got Tchaikovsky over in Europe. Yep. And we've got, I think, Carter signed somewhere else in Europe. What nation is Tchaikovsky playing? I don't think he's playing in Slovakia, is he? I am forgetting. Yeah, it's 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 some country in that vicinity. I you ready? You ready? I'm gonna I'm gonna find out right now. Good. Dun, dun, dun. It is. I need to get some thinking music in here. Hmm. He plays in Serbia. Serbia. I knew it was yes. something in the area. It was one of the S's. It was Serbia, Slovakia, Slovenia. He had some choices. Yeah, and he's Slovakian, but I was pretty sure it wasn't that. So yeah, yeah, that's what I that's what I expected, but. We'll be looking at Formello Trimble in Australia. That Australian Basketball League isn't as terrible anymore. I think uh, they're, they're caring a little bit more about basketball in uh, Australia because Andrew Bogut went home, and that was a big deal. Hey, it's, it's, it's yeah. different scales when we're talking about basketball in other countries, but uh, we'll learn more about where Cairns is in our geography lessons when we're updating how Maryland players are playing in uh, future podcasts. Uh, there are other sports that are starting. Maryland women's soccer has played two games. I think they're one up, one down. Men's soccer starting very soon. Volleyball starting soon. Thomas, you have any words on that? Yeah, so everyone's playing on Friday the 24th. Um, I believe that would be the only, the only one that's at home this weekend is women's soccer with its home opener. So that'll be the first game in College Park. Men's soccer is at 11 p.m. Yeah, they're in Washington. Yep. Hey, good, good for Sasho. He, he schedules hard. He can, he, he can basically do whatever he wants at this point. And yeah. He has no, all the rights to do so. Maryland's home opener is going to be against the three-time defending NCAA champions. Stanford. So. On FS1, incidentally enough. So if you were already complaining about Fox's soccer coverage, I'm not saying that I was, but if you already were and you're that inclined, well, there you go. More soccer on Fox for you. Yeah, college soccer. College soccer on FS1. That is the weirdest thing. When I when I saw that announced, I was completely baffled by it. But, is that a thing that happens? Is college soccer on BTN? Like, sometimes there's games on ESPN. I mean, they've got the the tournament, but mostly right. they're just like online and streaming services. And there are some games on BTN, obviously for the men. More more often than not, the men. Maryland's good enough where you'll have many games on on television, but a lot of them are BTN to go. So to have one on FS1 makes really no sense. And Stanford is playing in football right after that game, so my answer is it's filler. But, hey, it means it's on your basic cable, so if you don't have BTN at this point because, I don't know, people don't want BTN. I have no idea how cable negotiations go, but you could watch them there. And then on that Monday, on Labor Day, they're playing at Audi Field against Virginia, which is fantastic, and they should be doing that more. Aren't you going to that game, Thomas? I'm planning to. Yes, it's good. Because, I mean, well, other than the fact that Audi Field is not built for, properly for sun glare going into your eyes, but, hey, that'll be fun. And I hope Maryland uses Audi Field a lot because it's a great place to, to go, at least from the atmosphere I've seen on TV. I, I would really like to get to Audi Field at some point. So that's men's soccer. You know that, I mean, I'm not going to follow it as closely to be able to tell you the day in, day out, but you know that you have somebody on this podcast that really cares about that program, and that's me. I love Maryland men's soccer because of all the things. I'm obviously, I'm a huge soccer nerd, so this thing matters, of course. But also, I mean, women's soccer, as you said, one up, one down. And women's volleyball, I mean, 
geez, we were really excited about that program, Thomas, because of everything that was building. I did a story on Steve Aird when I was still at school. I was really excited. Then he left, and they were just outside the tournament last year. It probably should have made it. So what happens this year? Man, I'll tell you, at, at, at exactly this time last year, the day before their opener, I wrote a full feature on where they were at and how Steve Aird was, you know, starting to turn this thing around. We're not really, you know, it, it might not even, I, I said it might not be that year, but it, it's happening. And I interviewed Gia Milana, Sam Drexel, and a couple others for it. By January, Aird was gone, Milano was gone, Drexel was gone. So everyone I really interviewed for that story was out. So that that didn't age well. Um, and now, you know, here we are with Adam Hughes, who was Aird's top assistant. Um, they, they kept the rest of the staff, which I think was a win for Maryland. I, you know, we talked about this at the time. Because if they didn't really hire in-house, that whole staff was probably going to follow Aird to Indiana. Um which is in conference, so that that's just naturally interesting. Um, the roster this year is is still young. Um, they they had one freshman in the class, and Hughes went out and recruited a couple more. He got a couple transfers, but it's still a lot of freshmen and sophomores on the team. I think two thirds of the roster is going to be freshmen and sophomores this year. So. It, you know, it's young chance for a lot of different players to to make a name for themselves. Mm-hmm. And we all like it when this program, which was not great for a while, was getting close and was beating decent teams and playing well against decent teams and then nearly made the tournament but didn't. It's life. But maybe this year will be the year? I'd be surprised. Uh, I mean, Milana and Drexel were, you know, two of their best players last year. And they also lost another outside hitter in Angel Gaskin. So, I mean, they, I think, at least this year, have too much to replace. But Hughes seems pretty well liked. And I think it'll it, it'll be a setback, but I don't think it'll derail what Maryland is building. Okay, good. So that's Maryland-related things, all of them. Do you want to talk about Ohio State briefly? Because we talked about it a little bit on previous shows, and I joked about it, and I realized... Since doing that, I probably shouldn't have. But should we talk about what's going on there? I mean, they're in Maryland's division, and we're not going to get a huge chance to talk about them in the future. Maryland doesn't play them until the second-to-last game of the season. So if you want to talk about it, Thomas, we can. If not, we can uh, think happy thoughts. I don't, I don't have much to say on it. I'll just say that, you know, these are – you can't pretend that football – is more important than these other things. And I think that is a place that big universities, Maryland to some extent, Ohio State to a greater extent, you know, have have struggled. You know, the Ohio State seemed to treat this as much as a football thing as anything else. And, you know, Maryland seemed to try to, at least until the reports came out, seem to try to keep the status quo going even after a player died. So I think in both of these instances, they're wildly different things and we can't generalize, but I think that's the thing is that it, it has to put these things in perspective. Other things are far more important than football. And that's what we're, 
that's what we have to to learn and be able to actually internalize but as as i think ryan said earlier and then i Sometimes I don't remember exactly what is said in these podcasts until we go back and edit them. But you said something that's like, it makes you feel like a little bit icky as a college football fan. But I don't think we can be surprised by how this ended with Ohio State. I mean, Maryland is dealing with it differently since all of the stuff went public. But Maryland football is not Ohio State football. They're in two completely different universes. And for that reason, I, I'm not surprised with how it ended with Ohio State, but it doesn't make me feel any less icky about it. I would say the same. I, uh, yeah, I, I was just pretty sure a couple weeks ago that like my would end up not surviving at Ohio state. I think it's kind of amazing what happens if you just let like every, every school it's like, if you just let it sit for two weeks, then there's not as much constant pressure and then you like you couldn't Ohio State could not have gotten away with, you know, saying Urban Meyer's just going to be suspended like two weeks ago, essentially. Yeah, he's and for like, one game, and he could coach the team in practice for two others, and one of them's Rutgers, so it doesn't count. Right, and I think uh, it's it's kind of crazy what happens there because I think you know by then sports fans and sports media are still very much paying attention but the i think the outrage any outrage that uh that expands beyond that area has sort of those people have already moved on quick news cycle and then yeah it was like i don't know nothing wrong about to say is like you know particularly even my own thoughts but the like the difference between what what they found in their reports versus like what they found in their reports seems like it basically said, yeah, they, they both acted, Gene Smith and Urban Meyer both did not report this thing. It sure seems like they knew enough about it. And then their applications of the reports were like, well, they, they you know, they, they, they only screwed up a little bit and it's fine. But, but like, we could, I, mean, I read some of those reports and you're just like, wait a minute, shouldn't that be fireable? They knew what was yeah, going on it, and they didn't. And Urban Meyer claimed, I think it was memory loss or something in there, which is like, wait a minute, what? The uh, the the explanations they used were just insulting. The like, yeah, the they could have just not said the part about the he takes medicine that might make him forget, which like don't we all that's, like that's not no everybody like that's not a chance, and it's like it's so it, that part's insulting. Um, the the fact that they deliberately didn't release that document until after the press conference was ridiculous. Uh, just because they th- their their rationale was that they needed you know it was going to take too long for people to read it. It was like well you, then you could have had the press conference in the morning, let people read it overnight. Like the they got the they answered questions before giving people the facts and that way they didn't have to answer for all the facts. Really? Um, no, no, and it, it's you know, really, we, it's, done. it's, yeah, it's, and, and I know, don't want to say, and I don't want to say this, like, I don't say some of these things like wrongly, but you know, Ohio state scandal definitely got pushed aside a little when the Maryland stuff broke and the outrage was definitely towards Maryland for a while. And that I hate saying this because you don't want to compare and I'm trying my best not to, but Seriously, in ways like that, the Maryland got the outrage 
And then Ohio State just sort of slumped back and everyone was like, oh, right. Oh, they're going to release this now. Okay, let's worry about this going forward. And they, they, they had a press conference at like 9 at night. All just a little bit, just a little bit weird. And it's just, it's a how-to of not how you deal with scandals. And for what we can say about Maryland, and this is what we'll end on, since the whole thing broke, they dealt with it really poorly before that, and there's no doubt about that. But since it broke, I think they've dealt with it as reasonably well as you could have asked them to. And also, as we say, Maryland football fans are not Ohio State football fans. These are not analogous situations in any way, shape, or form. But, I mean, most of the Maryland fans' reaction was just, was like horror, and then everybody should be fired. Not the same at Ohio State. There would be no rallies for DJ Durkett outside of Gossett like there was with that pokey, ridiculous rally for Urban Meyer like the day the stories broke. But, man, we're dealing with two different cultures. But regardless of that, hope you enjoyed this podcast. Hopefully it was a little bit more of an easier listen than the last one. And if it wasn't, Maryland football still in a very dark place and will be for a while. Next week, look in your uh, podcasting locations Thursday morning. We should have a... Uh, Football season preview podcast for you planned. We think we're going to hear more in terms of just general information on the status of coaches, on the status of people who are on leave, and the status of actual football-related things like who's the starting quarterback, what's on the two deep, and how they're preparing to play Texas because there is a game, and it is still against a team that is ranked in the top 25 and is going to want revenge for having been beaten pretty badly at home the year before. We will talk about that. We'll go into every element of the football season in terms of on-the-field record predictions and the like next week hope you enjoyed this show as we try to catch up on everything if other stuff happens please stay tuned to testudo times for all the news as it comes out but until then of course i can say this now because this podcast is a little bit more positive Go Terps.